Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm Ron Barr, and this is today's edition of Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8Side Network. I'm often asked over the many years that I've been doing Sports Byline about the favorite people that I've either talked to or interviewed, and certainly on that list would be Bill Russell, would be Michael Jordan, Jim Brown, Billie Jean King, and also Tony Gwynn. Uh, I've talked to Tony over the years, and the enjoyment that I've gotten out of it is just how insightful and the passion that he had for baseball. The former outfielder for the San Diego Padres elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame going in with Cal Ripken Jr. And I know you had an opportunity to, before being inducted, Tony, to go to the Hall of Fame. And your quote was, I never thought going into the Hall of Fame would be so deep. What was it that struck you so deeply? Uh, I think the history, probably more than anything else. I mean, um, and even now, I, I was just at the Hall of Fame a couple of months ago, and when you walk through the halls and you see how how rich the history is in this game, you know, you kind of come to the realization that you know that, <laughs> this, that going to the Hall of Fame is a huge honor, and uh, because you don't you don't really I, I don't at least I didn't I didn't really think about you know going into the Hall of Fame as a player because you know it was out of my control. I, I always tended to worry about the things that I could control, but you know, once you get back there, and once you you get a sense of of you know how much history there there is, and 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 how hard it is to get there, boy, I mean, it really kind of hits you in the face. And and so, believe me, I I'm so honored. I I, I just I still pinch myself every day. But it, it is such a huge honor, and to be you know to be remembered as long as there's baseball. Um, is re- is is really the cool thing out of all of it. So I, I I feel really blessed. When you take a look at the the vast history of baseball, and you had a chance to kind of put your arms around it by walking through the Hall of Fame, what sense did you get of the game that maybe was different from them when you played the game? Uh, I think for me, um, the the thing that I I guess I really didn't pay attention to as a kid. Uh, I grew up in, in you know the '60s, '70s, watching the game, and I really didn't have a sense of you know 
when you walk through the hall, the, the one thing that really struck me was how the game really changed when Jackie Robinson broke in because uh, up until that point there weren't very many, there wasn't any African Americans playing, and once he came into Major League Baseball, um, the impact that the African American player had on the game was huge, and so. Um, as a kid, I really didn't know that much about it. My dad talked about Jackie Robinson all the time. Um, but the last time I was there, they had a chart that was hanging up on one of the exhibits. And they talked about Jackie Robinson playing in 1947. And then from 48, I think it was to 57, um, there were seven rookies of the year that came from the Negro Leagues. There was five MVPs that came from the Negro League. There was two Cy Young Award winners that came from the Negro League. And so as I sat, as I kind of walked around and I was looking at this exhibit, it, it hadn't really hit me the impact um, that people had on the game. I mean, you know, the game you know, was played and people excelled at the game and, you know, there were great players that played the game. And, and, but for a young black kid growing up in, in Los Angeles, when I went to Dodger Stadium, I, I really didn't have that much insight on that until my dad started talking about it. And so... Um, that's huge. I, great players are great players. It really doesn't matter what color they are. Babe Ruth is still probably the greatest of all time. Um, and to walk through the hall and be able to hold the bat that he used and see the glove that he used, the one he used when he pitched, the one he used when he played, played the outfield, all of that history to me is very intriguing. And, it, and as a coach, it's great stuff to know so when you pass this stuff on you know, to your players, and you talk about the game, you talk about how things were done and how it changed and how the game has changed again, and it goes in cycles. I think all that stuff is very insightful when you're especially relating to these, these young guys learning to play the game. I know nine of the first 13 MVP award winners after, you know, were African-Americans uh, after 1947, and right. most of those came from the Negro Leagues, and your dad did teach you a lot about the Negro Leagues. What might he say about you going into the Hall of Fame if you were able to talk with him? He's passed away, I know, but what yeah. might he say? I, I think uh, knowing my dad, I think he'd, he would have a big smile on his face because um, – as I was starting out, when I left, when I left home to go to college in 1970, 1977, before I left, you know, we were having a conversation, and he was, he was always talking about, you know, you just, whatever it is you try to do, you usually excel at it. You played bad. I mean, I came to San Diego State on a basketball scholarship, and, you know, I played basketball, and, you know, I was pretty good. I played baseball, and I was pretty good. But, you know, I could... I could get tennis balls back across the net. I could play ping pong. And he always used to talk about how whatever it is you tried to do, you, you know, you're usually pretty successful at it. And so when I left to go to college, he told me that, you know, whatever it is I chose to do, I was going to be successful at. And even though I know it's my dad, I know obviously he's going to have a lot of confidence in me, but I didn't have that kind of confidence in myself. And so um, once I got to the big leagues, he told me I was going to be successful. I really was unsure myself and so I think if he was alive today he'd be nodding his head telling people he told me so because he kind of saw a lot of this stuff happening for me where I really didn't and he gave me a lot of confidence because he believed in me he 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 really wasn't going to allow me to fail he was always going to be that positive person to, to to get you know to try to get me to to believe in myself and that I could be successful and and again, a lot of this, when I was a kid, a lot of the stuff my dad was saying, I was like, yeah, right. But 
it, it turned out to be true. So I know on the 29th he's going to be he's going to be there in spirit somewhere with a big smile on his face, uh, knowing that you know he saw some things for me happening, and it turned out to be true. Tony, I was asked about you if there was one word I could use to describe Tony Gwynn. What would it be? And I didn't even have to hesitate. I said consistency. And yeah. I've always wondered about you, Tony, where that consistency came from. Because the, you can only be consistent if you stay even keeled. You don't get yeah. too high during the good moments. You don't get too low during the bad moments. Where did that come from? And does it surprise you that you were able to be consistent for such a long period of time? Uh, it, the, the period of time, yeah, surprising. But, uh, again... One of the great things about the game of baseball is that players who have played the game before, if you ask, they will tell you. And they might not give you a straight, clear, concise answer, but um, as a young player, I asked a lot of questions. And Steve Garvey's the one who kind of gave me that even keel mentality because his locker was two down for mine, and I got a chance to watch him you know, prepare for games, deal with the media, deal with his teammates, deal with the fans. And 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 I remember it like it was yesterday. It was 1984. We'd gotten off to a great start. I think we were 18 and 10, and then we turned around and lost eight in a row. And <clears throat> as a young player in the game, you kind of get frustrated because you know you're better than that. But, um, you know, for whatever reason, we just couldn't get on track. And I, and I asked Steve, I said, you know, what do you do when you've lost eight in a row? What do you do? How do you get people back on track? And he said, that baseball is this game you kind of have to stay on an even keel you can't get too high when it's going good and you can't get too low when it's going bad you just come in every day with the mentality that you're going to do the best you're going to prepare yourself as best you can to help your team win that day and i and it stuck it just in my own mind i just i i realized what he was saying was true and i just tried to follow that just tried not to get too high when it was going great and try not to get too low when it was going bad and Believe me, there were some good times and there were some bad times, but <clears throat> every day um, my job was to try to help my team win. And so that's kind of how I approached it. And, and, and as you get older and you get more experience, you realize that you know, people are paying a lot of money to come out there and watch you play. And so you didn't want you know, you to fail. You always wanted to succeed. You always wanted people to see you when you're at your best. And, and again, that was kind of my approach. We only have a minute before we have to break, Tony, but uh, when young players come up, invariably they come into that locker room, they look around, they see the veteran players, they see how those veteran players conduct themselves, and that kind of sets the standard for them. You talked about certainly what you've already seen uh, in the early part of your career, but who else was it along the way uh, besides Steve Garvey that really impressed you? Oh, lots of guys. Uh, you know, Rod Carew, I was lucky enough to meet early in my career. Um, Padres and the Angels kind of shared in the instructional league complexes and and his words of wisdom I still go by today Steve Garvey like I said my locker my row of locker mates were Terry Kennedy Tim Flannery Steve Garvey Greg Nettles and Bruce Bochy and so there's lots of information flying in that area every day and 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 the old axiom in baseball keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut really applied to me because I I was a young guy I just sat there and listened to some of the pearls that they would throw out there, and you know, some of them really applied to me. Some of them didn't, but you know, you remembered them, and you hoped that you know later on down the line it would maybe apply to you. So, I've talked to so many great players, so many people about the game of baseball that again, I'm a I'm kind of a byproduct of what a lot of people think about the game. 
I kind of, you know, you kind of develop an old school mentality, and it and it and it works. Tony Gwynn has joined us on Sports Byline Hall of Famer. We'll take a quick break as we continue across the country and around the world on the American Forces Network, the Internet, Satellite Radio. We've got you on Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge, Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Everyone, please welcome Coach John Calipari. We're getting beat by 18. My first game in Kentucky. They're saying, Cal's a bust. He can't coach. This is crazy. John Wall runs down the floor and makes a buzzer beater. Yep. You remember that, John? That's my first game win I ever made. Remember you said you never seen me do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Demarcus Boogie Cousins. I called Boogie. I'm like, yo, bro, I'm about to commit to Duke. And I hung up on him. <laughs> bro, I'm talking about, do you want to tell me how many times he called me all type of names? Bro, you really sold me out. You doing this. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was sick. I remember that like yesterday, man. Love you, John Wall. Thanks, Coach. Love you, too. You made me everything I am today. Nah, you made me. You made me. I love it. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. It wasn't even posted to my my dance, (laughs) Tony Gwynn has joined us here on Sports Byline, Hall of Famer, and he has the highest career average among players whose career began after World War II, and he hit over 300 for 19 consecutive seasons, surpassing Honus Wagner's National League record. Tony, your consistency as far as hitting, how did you come about the philosophy that allowed you to do that? Where did you come up with the love for hitting the baseball and doing it within the means that you could be successful? I mean, in other words, not trying to be a home run hitter, just doing what your talents would allow you to do. I think the answer to that is really easy. I knew what type of hitter I was coming in. Um, You know, everybody wants to be that guy who can get the ball out of the ballpark, but that wasn't who I was. That wasn't what I did best. And and early on in my career, I kind of stuck to my guns and, you know, just went out there and just tried to be the best uh, the best hitter that Tony Gwynn could be, and that was, you know, the singles hitter who used the whole field, who wasn't afraid to hit behind in the count, um, and and I just, you know, I was comfortable with who I was, and until I had a conversation with Ted Williams, and then all, <laughs> all of that <laughs> changed, but for 12 years, that's who I was. I was a lifetime 327 hitter who sprayed the ball around and was very comfortable with that, but um, I had a con- once I had my conversation with Ted Williams, and he talked about being more aggressive at the plate, using your knowledge, using your experience. Um, I kind of I kind of believed it because I thought I could be I could still be the the average guy that I had always been. But you know now try to be a little bit more of a run producer. Try to be you know a little bit more of a guy who could drive in the run and and not always have it be a single and. And so the first 12 years, like I said, I, I was perfectly content. And then Ted Williams really opened my eyes and made me really think about, you know, how how I could better help my team win games. And so 
from 93 on, I was a much better hitter than I was the first 12 years of my career, and um, and I became a better hitter just, you know, the old-fashioned way. I just outworked people. I, I was uh, almost driven to be the best hitter that I could be, and um, and and at the end was trying to be the most complete hitter that I could be, and Ted Williams is the one who convinced me of that, and and you know I had some really good years after that conversation, and and really I you know it's a tip of the cap to Ted Williams because he didn't have to give me that information, he didn't have to um, you know implore me to try to you know dig down deep and and be a, a be a better hitter. Um, but at the other end, I, you have to be open too. You can't just come into the, everything thinking you know everything, and that nobody else can give you information that's going to make you better. So, um, and and I was driven. I wanted to be the best hitter that I could be, and um, and and then it was just a matter of going out there and just pra- and just executing what I what I practiced every day, and and for the most part, I, I think I was able to do that and do it at a pretty cons- consistent level. I love the quote uh, after your chat uh, chat with Ted Williams. You said, "I gave him my bat, and he started picking his teeth with it." <laughs> yeah, because I mean, at the time, I, I used the shortest bat in the big leagues. It was thirty-two and a half inches and thirty-one ounces, and and I can't tell you what a hitter thinks when a guy takes his bat and starts to pick his teeth with it. Because I don't think it happens <laughs> probably to many guys in the big leagues, and. You know, he didn't say anything. He just looked at it and picked his teeth with it and handed it back to me. And, uh, <laughs> and it made me think, you know, God, did Ted Williams thinks my bat is too short. Maybe I ought to, maybe I ought to move up a half an ounce or, and a half an inch. And that's what I did. I actually went to 33 and uh, dropped a half ounce to 30 and a half ounces. And, boy, what a difference it made. I mean, I, I felt a whole lot quicker at the plate right away. And... And like I said, from that point on, man, I hit the ball great. I drove the ball a lot better. I still didn't hit a whole lot of home runs, but uh, the one area where I really improved was hitting with guys in scoring position. And 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 then honestly, in the game, when you can be that guy who can step up to the plate and drive in the run, um, that's a huge thing to kind of have in your hip pocket. So. Um, no question, Ted Williams made me a much better hitter. Uh, of all the things about you as an athlete, Tony, the thing I respect and admire the most about you is that while I know athletes have to have egos in order to be successful, you were so disciplined that you didn't let your ego carry yourself away and not perform because you once said, go ahead and say it, I was a punch and Judy hitter. I'm fine with it. I put the bat on the ball, and I take a lot of pride in that. And that yeah. tells me that you understood yourself. You weren't going to let other people change you, that you were going to be disciplined enough to be able to perform. Yeah, and, you know, the contact hitter sometimes gets mislabeled because, you know, when you're just, when it to the average fan or to the average person, it looks like you're just trying to go out there and get your hits. And, you know, and so a lot of times it's, you kind of get mislabeled with that, but really it's just about, you know, knowing who you are, being comfortable with it, and then going out there and doing it. I mean, I knew hitting a ball, hitting a ball out of the ballpark wasn't my forte. Uh, I knew that I could hit line drives, you know, in any ballpark in America and, you know, get to, and have some success. And, and, of course, when you do that, uh, you got to do it at a pretty good level because, you know, especially in the game today, um, you know, such a big premium on a guy who can hit the ball out of the ballpark because he's a game changer. And so if you're a singles hitter or a contact hitter and, 
and I, I, I got to apologize to all the women in the world named Judy, but, you know, that's the, <laughs> the baseball parlance is uh, punching Judy. Um, when you're a contact hitter, you got to do a lot of it. you got to get a lot of hits. you got to get on base. you got to score runs. And, and, and fortunately, I, and I, I look back now, and I, I'm thankful that I played in the era in which I played because the scrutiny today, you know, nobody wants to be that guy. It's like, I mean, it's almost like nobody wants to be that that table setter, that guy who's going to, you know, get on base and work the count and, and not and take the walk and not be afraid to hit behind in the camp. That guy is almost becoming extinct. So uh, I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the fact that, uh, you know, it would have been easier probably to change. But, no, I stuck to my guns and thought this was the best way for me to play the game, and, and it worked out. When you think back on your long career, what are your favorite memories? Uh, Ron, I got so many. <laughs> I have so many. You know, there's playing the World Series at the Yankee Stadium is probably, for me, the highlight because I, I really waited all my life for an opportunity to play in that ballpark. And, you know, even though we got swept, it's still one of the greatest experiences I've had. Uh, the All-Star Game in Fenway in 99 where, you know, the All-Century players are on the field and Ted Williams is throwing out the first pitch and, I'm standing right next to him as he throws it to Carlton Fisk, and you know that was a highlight. You know, playing in one town my whole career is is a highlight. Um, you know, getting my 3,000th hit and you know going to the playoffs and World Series, those things are fun. But uh, if I had to pick one, for me, it's probably playing at Yankee Stadium because I was a National Leaguer my whole career and. And uh, interleague came in at towards the end of my career, and we never, you know, never got a chance to play a regular season. It wasn't going to have a chance to play a regular season game, but getting there in the World Series in '98 was a big highlight for me. Well, you've also been able to keep that balance uh, as far as the person as well as the athlete, and uh, I've admired you. I've watched you with the media. You've always been very gracious there. It's not always an easy thing to do, and I, I don't know how you were able to do that. Was it ever hard for you to just be Tony Gwynn sometimes? Uh, not really, because, you know, San Diego's not exactly the media mecca <laughs> like some of the other places uh, in the country. But I, I realized early on in my career this was a perfect place for me because uh, I took a lot of time to, you know, to prepare. Uh, I don't know if I could have done what I did here in New York or Chicago or L.A. just because, um, you know, there are a lot of demands on your time when you're in those bigger markets. And so... I realized early on San Diego was a perfect place for me. And uh, it's still, even though you're in San Diego, sometimes, yeah, it was difficult. But uh, I realized people, had, you know, they were only doing their job. Um, my rule of thumb was always if, you know, you allowed me the time to do what I needed to do, I'll, you know, I'll try to help you do what you do. And, and it worked out. You know, I mean, you know, everybody, I think, was respectful of the fact that, uh, you know, yeah, he needs extra time to do what he needs to do, but once he finishes, he's going to, you know, step up to the plate and do, you know, deal with the media and answer their questions as best he could. And, and again, it's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, things happen for a reason, Ron, and me playing here in San Diego, there's, there's no question I was supposed to be here. I'm proud of the fact that, uh, you know, I wore an SD on my hat for 20 years and, uh, um, I'm proud of the fact that uh, you know, you know, I'll be standing there at the podium with people looking at me, knowing that I was a San Diego Padre my whole career. That's that's pretty cool too. So you know, it, it worked out. I never was a guy who wanted a whole lot of attention. 
Uh, I just, you know, you just want to be respected for what you do. I think that was the case for me. And, you know, when it was time to retire, obviously people all across the country, you know, showed me that, hey, I, I, I'm, you know, I must have done some things right because, you know, everywhere we went, I mean, people were uh, showing a whole lot of respect. So I'm, I'm, I got no regrets. I'm looking, I look back at my career and, you know, I made some, some pretty good decisions. Some, I had a pretty good thought process and, you know, 20, 20 years with a Padre uniform, be it brown or blue, turned out to be the right thing for me. And, you know, maybe that's not the case for somebody else, but for me it was exactly what I needed to do. Tony Gwynn with us and you on Sports Byline. We're sharing the interview we did back before he passed away in 2014. And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk to Tony not only about his major league career, but also something he had a very big passion for. And that was San Diego State where he played his college baseball. We continue with more of you and Sports Byline. You're listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Nice to catch up with Tony Gwynn, the former outfielder for the San Diego Padres and now the head baseball coach for San Diego State. And Tony, I know that when you and I used to talk during your playing days, I always used to think to myself, you know, he'd be awfully good as a broadcaster. (laughs) And now you have moved into that world. Was that transition an easy one for you as it appears? No, no, not at all. uh, You know, I, I think when you play the game a long time, you just seem to think that that's going to be an easy transition, and it really isn't. It's really a lot of hard work and a lot of uh, doing your homework and trying to figure out, uh, you know, trends and basically just knowing what you're talking about and being able to, you know, to talk about it. So, um, and it's been fun. I've really enjoyed it. It's been kind of my way of, you know, keeping in touch with what's going on in the big leagues, but at the same time, um, taking a lot of stuff that you you, you learn playing and, and from doing these games and bringing it to the coaching side, too. So, you know, I enjoy that part, but I, I, I my first love is coaching. That's what I'm doing. And uh, so I'm I'm kind of in my element again, so I feel really good and really <laughs> happy about that. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a second, but let me stay with the broadcasting for just a second. One of the questions I wondered about, Tony, when I saw that you were transitioning into broadcasting was – you were so technically oriented. When yeah. you and I used to talk about hitting, you would break it down to the my, most minute moment. And I just wondered whether, when you were trying to broadcast, whether you could simplify it down to the fan being able to understand it, not the technical aspect. Yeah, of and that's where I got into trouble, really, early on when I first started. You know, I was being too technical. And, you know, you basically try to, you know, put it in terms that the average fan sitting at home could understand. And, and as. The years went on. I kind of got better at that, but at first, yeah, my first game. I remember distinctly working with John Miller in St. Louis, trying to break this guy down, <laughs> minute little detail. And you know, you got a producer in your ear telling you, "Hey, man, come on, make it simplify it, make it easier for people to understand." And uh, you know, and that transition is is not an easy one. I mean, I was petrified that first game, but you know, as time went on. I think I think I got a little bit better at it, and I think I. 
you know, try to simplify it a little bit more. And, you know, now you, you get to the point where, you know, you don't have to break it all the way down like you did as a player, but you basically try to explain to fans what a guy is trying to do and, and, and maybe what mistakes he's making or, or, or why he can't get the barrel head to the baseball. You just try to keep it simple. Well, you also are starting to have some fun with it. I see your personality coming into it as well, and I, I think that that's an important important thing. What did you see from the broadcast booth above that maybe you didn't see when you were on the field? Well, what perspective do you have now of the game? Uh, it's much different. Uh, I think, you know, because as a player, you tend to focus on the things that you need to do. And now, you know, as a broadcaster now, you, you, you kind of have to take in, a, like for me, I had to take in a lot more things and concentrate more on defenses and, you know, pitches and pitch selection and, and, you know, how guys were being attacked from, um, you know, from a guy way a guy was pitching to a guy or a way a hitter might attack a guy. Um, you had to take in, for me, I had to take in a whole lot more. And, and, and so one of the things I, I, I learned really from doing games in the booth is that, Sometimes you sometimes you go down and you talk to guys. They aren't exactly honest with you. They you know will tell you <laughs> tell you they're trying to do this this or this. And from a hitting perspective, I what I always do is I get to the park early and sit in the stands and watch guys take BP because that will tell you, at least for me, that will tell me whether a guy is swinging good, whether a guy understands what he should be doing. Um, because how you swing in BP usually carries right over into the games. There aren't many guys who can go up there and swing one way in BP and then all of a sudden change and go to another way in the game. And so um, that was my biggest thing. I, I'd get there early and just sit there and watch watch guys take BP. I could cheat and have the center field camera kind of just aim right, <laughs> right at home plate and just take a look at guys. And that really helped me a lot because – uh, like I said, I think BP really gives you a, a really good indication of how a guy might be swinging, and you can kind of set that up as the game goes on. And, and for me, that, that worked pretty good. I know that in talking uh, with Frank Robinson when he was the manager with the San Francisco Giants here, and I've talked to Don Baylor and others, they just lament about uh, athletes not preparing themselves as well for games and about the fact that they're not fundamentally as sound anymore. And so knowing how strong you were on fundamentals, <laughs> I just wondered if it just like was like fingernails on a blackboard when you watch some of these players today that just are not as talented as either they could be or they should be or don't work as hard at it. It was that's something you had to adjust your thinking and your criticism and your comments on as well, Tony? Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I'm an old school guy. That's why. It's, it, you know, this game, it's, changed. it's a different game they're playing now than the game I played, just like it was a different game that I played that Frank Robinson, you know, some of those guys, Don Baylor had to, you know, watch us play. The game changes. It evolves. These guys are bigger now. They're stronger. They're faster. I would question whether they put as much effort into becoming better as maybe our generation. But you know what? It's I, Who am I? You know, who am I to criticize? You know, I was a guy that knew I had to work in order to have success, and that worked for me. I don't expect other guys to do it because I did it. Or, you know, I you, you expect guys to be a little bit more fundamentally sound than, than, than they are because we put so much emphasis – on the offensive end and not so much on the defensive end, you know, those offensive guys, you know, they're, they're it's almost like the offensive guys are a dime a dozen now, but those really quality defenders, you know, you can, you can kind of name them on one hand. I mean, you know, there just aren't a whole lot of them. And 
And if you think it's bad at the big league level, man, let me tell you about the college level, the high school level, <laughs> just guys putting forth that kind of effort to make themselves into better players. And, you know, and as a coach, I'm ranting and raving about that all the time, about guys, you know, you can't just walk onto the baseball field and expect to have success. You have to prepare for it. And and that's a line straight from Dick Williams' handbook. And that's where I learned it, and that's what I tried to do. I'm trying to pass that information on to other people, too. And, you know, you hope they abide by it. But you know what? You don't have to be fundamentally sound to be a successful baseball player in today's game. And, you know, I don't agree with that, but, you know, there aren't many people arguing because, you know, when you watch these guys play, you can you can see that. You know, Joe Morgan and I had a heart-to-heart talk the other day, Tony, and uh, so you're the perfect person to follow up on this. And he was lamenting something I guess he had said during the World Series between Houston and Chicago about the fact that there were no African-American players on the uh, Houston Astros, and he was also talking about black kids not playing baseball. Now, when you go out to recruit and you're trying to find a talented high school player, what are you seeing at the high school level, and is it making you kind of shake your head about what you're going to have to deal with talent-wise at the college level now that you're a head coach at San Diego State? You know what? There are kids playing. The, the kids are playing. The more talented ones are the guys that are getting drafted and signed in. Uh, to play professional baseball, I think the thing I've learned since I've been a college coach is that you know a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the African American kids that are playing are kind of raw. You know, mm-hmm. they they play football, they play basketball, and they play baseball, but they you know they're not real polished at it yet. And so um, and so a lot of coaches, you know, it's about winning, and a lot of coaches just aren't going to put that kind of time into a guy where it might take two two and a half years, three years to get this guy to be the player that he wants him to be uh, instead of they, you know, so instead of taking that guy, they take a more polished guy uh, because the polished guys are playing, they're signing pro contracts, just no question about that, but there are guys out there, but you know, there's there's, there's the, the polished issue, there's the academic issue because kids, um, you know, at our school at San Diego State, you know, you got to have you know, two points five grade point average and a 930 SAT score and so you know that comes into play too and and to be honest a lot of kids just don't want to wait that long you know they don't want to wait that long uh, to have success they want success right now and and it's easier to do that in football and basketball than it is in baseball and well so. that's exactly what Joe and I were talking about because you can either you can come right out of high school almost except for in the NBA now you got to wait a year or yep. the NFL you can come out early from college and go right into the NFL and and get money right away. Whereas with baseball, you may be in the minors for a couple of years. Yeah, that's you're gonna probably be in the minors a couple of years, regardless. You know, if right. you're coming out of high school, you're getting money in your pocket, but you're going to the minor leagues. And and once you decide to go from high school to college, once you step foot on that college, you're there for three years before you can get drafted again, and that prospect is not one that a lot of guys are are willing to do now you know there are a lot of kids who you know go to college and and play college baseball um but there aren't a lot of them who are having a whole lot of success at it and again to me it boils down to that 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 age-old problem is that as coaches our job is to win and we need to win right now and a lot of coaches just aren't going to be patient with a guy uh when they have to teach him how to do the things that they need to do at this level and so uh, as our season went around, I can't tell you. Uh, we played uh, we played North Carolina State, and they had two African American guys, and that was the most we saw uh, all season long. 
And so um, at the college level, there just aren't a whole lot of them. Um, at the high school level, there are lots of guys playing it, but not many guys you know, wanting to take it on, taking it to the next step to go to college because, like I said, those guys who are polished, they're getting drafted and they're signing professional contracts and they're starting their professional careers. And, you know, in most cases they're getting some money uh, to get their career started and then they're they're starting to work their way up the minor league uh, ladder. Tony, when you take a look at the programs, the college programs that have been successful, uh, I think of Texas, I think of Miami, I think of Stanford. Uh, I think of Arizona State, those type of programs, what is it, did you study them to see what they did so that they had long-term success so that you could apply it to San Diego State? I try to, but, you know, each school is different, you know. Um, you know, we're a state school. We're a Stanford or, you know, a Rice or, you know, some of these other schools are private schools and they have their own rules. They make their own rules for their university, you know, as a state school is a little bit different. Uh, for me, we, we're dealing with 11.7 scholarships, and you know, I, I kind of I try to play everything by the book. I, I, you know, I don't, you know, there are ways that I guess you could play it. I don't believe in in, you know, when I recruit a guy, it's, I'm trying to do it for the long haul. Now, unless you, you know, flunk out of school or you break the law, uh, there's a good chance that you're probably going to be back on my squad next year. Where at other schools, that might not be the case, and so. Um, you try to, you know, you try to emulate what these other schools do, but you know, once you have a, a, a track record of winning, that's that's the thing that attracts kids. It's not the fact that Tony Gwynn is a coach. Is if you're going to the regionals every year, you got a chance to go to College World Series every year. Kids want to go to those schools. They want to be on TV. They want you know the best stuff. They want every opportunity to get to the regionals and get to the College World Series and. When you don't have that track record like I don't, or like my university doesn't, uh, you better work real hard to try to change that because kids are flocking to those schools that you mentioned. That's where they want to go because they know those schools have a history of winning. And and to get into to break into that group, man, it's 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 not easy. But uh, um, you know, I'm in it for the long haul, I'm not in it for the short haul. And so uh, you continue to try to find ways to get to track that above-average kid. Now, I've been killed by the draft the last three years in a row here. I've lost a lot of guys to the draft and and expect to lose a few more to the draft, and that's always going to be out there. But uh, um, somehow, some way, you have to find a way to translate the kids that you're bringing in and get them to play the kind of baseball that you want them to play, have success, and win. Because once you win, I think that starts to – change people's minds maybe you know then people uh, seem to think that uh, uh, you could be successful at San Diego State we're not in you know the Pac-10 or the, the Big 12 we're in the Mountain West Conference and things are done a little bit differently in our conference than let's say the Pac-10 or the SEC or the ACC would you use this as a kind of a stepping stone to maybe consider something at the major league level as far as a manager no no, no, no. I, I, I love the big league game. I love playing it. I love watching it on TV. But I'm, I've, I'm truly happy doing what I'm doing. I love the college level because I, I feel like I'm more of a teacher, and I feel like I can have more of an impact at the college level. And you know, thus far, I've really enjoyed it. It's not as much scrutiny. You don't have to answer questions all the time. <laughs> My job is just baseball to teach these guys how to play baseball and hopefully help them get to the next level. And it's been a blast, and it's it's a level that I really enjoy. 
And I know the one thing that you enjoy more than anything else is that there's nobody asking you about your weight, right? Exactly. That's very true. <laughs> hey, Tony, let's stay in touch, my friend. Anything I can do to help you down there, let me know. But it's good to catch uh, up with you. And, again, congratulations for the great job you're doing at San Diego State. All Take right, care, I Tony. I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, Tony Gwynn, the former outfielder for the San Diego Padres uh, and now the head coach of San Diego State. And I cannot think of a better person to be a head coach at the college level than Tony Gwynn because you heard him say he simply loves teaching and that's the way he approached the game when he was a major league baseball player and that's what he's giving back to the kids now that's our tribute to the late Tony Gwynn you have been listening to Ron Barr's Sports Byline USA podcast on the 8 Side Network your last day of vacation and you found time for a deep tissue massage followed by a long mud bath then a two-hour nap because you're an American Express Platinum Guard member and booked your stay at a fine hotel and resort through Amex Travel, which means a 4 p.m. checkout. And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. Introducing the Lisa Chill Collection, your answer to hot nights. These mattresses beat the heat with ultra-cool covers, whisking away heat for the perfect sleep temperature. Save up to $460 on chill mattresses and get two free pillows when you shop now. iHeart listeners can save an extra $50 off by visiting lisa.com forward slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Get in zone, auto zone. Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? My check engine light's on. Mm, that could hurt your gas mileage. The AutoZone free fix finder service can help find the fix for free. This whole report for free? That's right. Printed and on your phone for free. But what if the fix is too tough? We'll recommend a local shop. Fix finder only at AutoZone. AutoZone. Restrictions apply.